Get a credit card that gives you what you need now, a low interest rate on everyday purchases, and a place to transfer high interest rate balances. The PenFed Gold Contactless Card is our lowest rate credit card. You can even earn a $100 statement credit when you spend $1,500 in the first 90 days. Join PenFed, and together we can help you keep more of what's yours. Visit penfed.org slash goldcard. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. A little flexibility can go a long way. By refinancing your newer used auto loan with PenFed, you can lower your monthly payments for more flexibility in your budget. You can even schedule your first payment for up to 60 days from the date of your refinance. Calculate how much you can save at penfed.org slash autorefi or call 1-800-247-5626 to apply. Membership is open to everyone. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Thanks for listening to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest in American soccer. And don't forget to subscribe. On this week's episode of Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, we discuss young Americans performing in top leagues in Europe along with the Portugal-friendly, and some discussion about Bruce Arena and his comments on Fox. Matt Pence and Corey Repkin join the show to discuss Seattle-Houston series that is coming up after a long MLS layover. Finally, we discuss the series between Hashtag Save the Crew and Toronto FC and other big MLS news. All this on this week's episode of Uncle Sam's Soccer Pod. Good day to everybody. Welcome, Uncle Sam Soccer Podcast. I'm Stephen Jodderin. I'm on Kafai. The team's here. We're excited. Another great episode. MLS is back after taking a century off. Um, and of course, subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Uncle Sam Soccer Pod. Arman, what a week! What a week! Massive, massive news. In in what like like just overall or or just in over overall overall. I mean, in I mean, the world of soccer, it was a crazy week. Remember, think about it. Since we've talked, Italy failed to qualify for the World Cup. True. Zlatan Ibrahimovic comes back from a major injury. True. Uh, you have this expansion draft coming up. It's expansion teams coming up, the the announcement for that. Yeah, we actually had a lot of news since. Yeah, no, it's quite a bit. And then you have all these young guys. But let, let's go back to last Tuesday where we played the most meaningless, friendly in a one of many meaningless friendlies in the next couple of years. I think it was a booster self-esteem. I, I, I honestly, okay, let's just begin. Overall thoughts of the game. I mean, it's really hard to get any anything out of it. But I mean, I thought really Weston McKinney played really well in his national team debut. I mean, you saw him in a position that he doesn't play at Schalke, and it was a little bit more advanced. And I remember talking to people at FC Dallas. Uh, who've covered a team who think that he's actually better off as in a more advanced position. So we saw him play that. We saw him score 
which is, I thought was fantastic. We saw some young guys play. Um, I, I don't know really what else you, you expect. I mean, McKinney played well. The McKinney-Acosta partnership was really nice. And I also thought that um, Ethan Horfath messed up a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's so funny? You and I were talking. We thought Hamid would get the start. I wanted to see Horfath. Horfath gets in, and he, uh, he just shoots himself in the foot. Yeah, it was it was a blunder. I mean, to be honest, and yeah, Hamid blunder. came in, played well. Uh, to be honest, I thought, I mean, it, it, it's it's good. I mean, it's a good start. But I mean, like I said, it's meaningless. I mean, we can't. It's really hard to take anything out of that match, except that our future will be fine, future wise. I mean, that's where you take them, friendly. I mean, what else can you take from there? <laughs> We're twenty twenty two World Cup champs. Like, come on. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, here's why my big takeaway. Bruce Arena screwed up. Oh, you're taking away from the whole. You know, I'm going to the game, or are, are you talking about like the game, or talking about like what he said? No, we're, we're going to get to Bruce Arena's comments. Don't worry. Now I'm saying <laughs> we'll talk about his comments, and I just coincides with it. But I think Bruce Arena really screwed up the system because the, the, I. This is my big takeaway. We have to be very careful with U.S. soccer not to make changes for making changes sake just because we failed we need to actually make sure we resolve the problems of U.S. soccer and not just change crap because that's what we want to do okay we've, no. we've seen that in politics I don't want to go down that road but we, we've just seen and witnessed the last 18 months change for change sake some of it has worked out for the better some of it has been an absolute blend, a blunder Okay. No, you're right. So U.S. soccer needs to realize we have started. We do have a. I mean, everybody's like, we don't have a generation of young guys. No, Bruce Arena never called him up. Okay, yeah. he just didn't. That, that, yeah, look, at, look at Weston McKinney. He played. I thought he played really well. I thought he played better than some of the players on our national team right now. I, I don't. Or, why didn't he call him up over the summer and say, you know what? I, there are two roster spots. They're probably not going to play, but at least they're on the squad. At least people are going to be like, oh, maybe Weston McKinney gets a gets a sub on. You know, maybe blah 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 comes on. No, we get screwed with a bunch of old guys, and these old guys are so comfortable that that's so aggravating. And these young players get so screwed. So screwed because not they're not playing at the World Cup at age 20. They'll play at their first World Cup at age 24, okay? The World Cup is every four years. For That is a huge detriment to the development of the team and the team chemistry. Normally, a, a generation has probably two World Cups at max to do something. Sometimes you get lucky with three depending on how young the squad is. Look at Argentina. They're done after 2018. France, they're about to start. They have this World Cup and maybe the next one. After that, there's a new generation coming through. The United States, they have they could have had three World Cup cycles. Now they're only down to two. Yeah, and they and they missed the World Cup in the worst time possible, to be honest with you. MLS is growing. And, you know, we could talk all day about that. But I think from our standpoint, at least – for right now, we need, we need to talk about what we saw over the weekend, which is a lot of young Americans playing in the top leagues in Europe. Let's go through the list. Let's go through the list. We had Shaq Moore. He actually played a little bit in the FC Dallas Academy. Then he went is on, he another uh, FC Dallas Academy pro? Well, product? he played within the program for about four months. Hey, you um, know what? You take credit for that, FC yeah, Dallas. Yeah, you take credit. I mean, but he went on trial in Spain and uh, got to deal with Levant, uh, Levante, and now he's um, – Starting for them. 20 we years saw, old. 
20 years old. We saw Keaton Parks, uh, a friend of the show. Um, we recently had a uh, discuss, uh, talk about him and his career. You can go uh, find that in our archives. Yes. Uh, he, he, he subbed on the 70th minute or 71st minute for Benfica in their cup match and didn't look out of place. We saw Jonathan Gonzalez of Monterrey, the, the, the center mid that's 18 years old, and Monterrey is first place in Liga MX, and they're going into the uh, Liguilla as the top seed. So good for them. We saw McKenny play well with Schalke. And we saw Yedlin and uh, Cameron Carter-Vickers uh, get some assists in uh, some English action. So we saw plenty of good young talent make their make their mark um, over the last weekend. Absolutely. And I'm, we're definitely missing a couple players off the list. But those are the big names that we thought were worth mentioning. Uh, tweet us. At Unc Sam Soccer Pod, if there's another player that you thought was worthy enough, and maybe tweet us a name that you want to see uh, come on the show. We just had Keen Parks. Maybe we'll keep the uh, keep the momentum going with getting a young guy on, and then maybe they can get a debut. How, how's that sound, Armand? <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I, I, I'm all aboard. I really, I would really add this list. I, I think the two I really want to talk to would be Shaq Moore, or Jonathan Gonzalez. To be honest with you, because I mean Jonathan Gonzalez has been in the middle of this whole. Mexico or USA thing looks like he's he's, he's chosen the USA, but I mean, being 18 years old and the top and for a top team in Liga MX, I mean, it's no small feat. And they look at Shaq Moore. He's I don't think people talk about him that much. And there's competition where he plays at a right back, but could he make a push? May push out Yedlin? I mean, I, we don't know. We don't know. No, we we absolutely don't. And this gets to what Bruce Arena said. On the broadcast of the USA Portugal friendly on FS1, and I want to ask you, Armand, why the hell did FS1 have Bruce Arena come in and talk? Why? Well, and why did play, Bruce, why did Bruce Arena accept that? Well, I'm playing devil's advocate. I think they brought him on to provide insight on what happened, and I think some people were interested from what he said. Why did he do certain things? Let's say United States is World Cup failure. I mean, I think it's it's interesting. It's an interesting side. Arena accepting, I think, I, I think, just kind of a little naive that you know about the magnitude of what happened. I think it shows that he's kind of in a bubble, and that it's it it shows really prevalent that he was in the bubble that of, I guess, complacency with the with with the national team. And I mean, it's a common trend we've seen from from Arena and a lot of people in U.S. soccer. They've almost repeated the same things multiple times. But I mean, accepting it. If I was him, I really wouldn't accept it. I feel like, you know, I don't really want to come on a show, talk about this. I mean, we can have a sit-down interview, but I don't think a discussion right now is appropriate <sighs> if, if I were him. But, I mean, uh, it's, it's just dumb. It's dumb. It was, it was, so it was, it was scary. It was scary because uh, Ben Valentine, Gold.com, uh, getting the quotes from Bruce Arena. Uh, we'll, we'll link out the articles. It's interesting. But Brina was asked about the idea that the U.S was not doing enough to discover young players and dismiss that thought, arguing the U.S. is not broken and talent on display at the youth levels is proof. I do not agree with the idea there are young, talented players falling through the cracks of the U.S. system at all. I think all the talented players involved in the systems, we need to do a better job of developing them. We see a variety of levels at the youth competition. We have very talented players on the field. We look for or five years later and we can't find them when we look four or five years later we can't find them and i think bruce arena is is dumb because he should have called up a younger if if we would not be in this predicament with the the discovery of youth talent 
players if he had just called up a couple more young guys. No, you're right. And the idea that players don't fall through the cracks is, uh, I would say, a myth. I did mention this on my Twitter that uh, Parks actually never didn't play for an academy side. He had the opportunity to travel uh, due to his uh, club coach. Uh, he had the opportunity to go across the pond and uh, to try out in Portugal. And he impressed some teams, and that's how he made his way up to the Benfica. That's where he started. Now, imagine if you're somebody who, who doesn't have the opportunity to travel across the seas. So there's obviously some players that you're going to miss. This country is so big. And when people say fall through the cracks, you, you can't get every good player. You, you it's, generally can't. This, this country's huge. For example, Deion Lewis of New England Patriots, the running back. He jumped around teams. Look how talented he looks for the New England Patriots. That's talent fall through. Sometimes players are just in the wrong system. Sometimes they just need change for shakes of, you know, that change of scenery. They just need that to the development. So I, I think it's, it, it's really hard because the generation of young guys is, remember, MLS is what, 22 years old. These young guys are 20 years old. The soccer culture is only starting to really start to, to sprout, and you're seeing the young guys finally make their mark on U.S. soccer. It's just a failure of the young guys. And it, what really was wasn't when we first chatted, Armand, when Bruce Arena got hired. What was he supposed? What was his job? To be a stopgap. He failed monumentally because a stopgap was was not necessarily just to qualify the world to the World Cup. It was that stopgap to get the young guys just old enough and mature enough to make their mark, and the old guys to say goodbye to. And the old guys failed to to keep the trail, you know, or the 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 fire burning for the young guys to to you know bring in their wood and start the fire and grow that, for lack of a better explanation. No, 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 no. You're right. Um, but at the same time, we have to, we 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 do agree that Arena was put in a little tough predicament to do that because he was focused on qualifying for the World Cup. Yes, I mean, absolutely. I think we both agree. Both we both agree with that a hundred percent. I think the issue was with Arena that he, I mean, you could tell with these quotes that he's he's relatively like stubborn that he feels like the United States has nothing wrong with them and to a degree he is to a degree the, some people who said United States should make drastic changes I think are right to a degree um, we are seeing these pushes for promotion relegation and seasonal changes I don't think the MLS in the United States really needs that yet. But I do think there needs to be some sort of uh, change in the way that you know, this like the like the system of you know, pay to play. And people say pay to play is a myth. I mean, from where we lived and resided, Stephen, it wasn't a myth because everyone in our area was wealthy enough to afford it. But I'm one hundred percent sure it's 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 obvious that there's in other places across like. In, especially in some urban areas, that there's obviously going to be some sort of issue. Absolutely, and and it's an issue. But has Bruce Arena lost it? Because I'm reading from the article, continuing, he specifically pointed out changes from the lineup that defeated Jamaica in the 2017 Gold Cup final to the 2-0 September qualifier loss against Costa Rica. The U.S. made multiple changes to the team that beat Jamaica, bringing in European-based players Christian Pulisic, Fabian Johnson, Jeff Cameron, Tim Ream, and Bobby Wood. I think a mistake we made in the Costa Rica game was changing our team from the Gold Cup, where we went away from the starting 11 that won a 
Gold Cup and brought in five players from the Europe. And on on the day, we didn't play well. Yeah, is that's a, that's a delusional quote, in my opinion. It's it's so. Oh, it, I don't understand. Is Christian Pulisic not better than the starting eleven that we saw against Costa Rica uh, in the final Jamaica. against Jamaica? Jamaica. Yes yeah, or no? No, no, he 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 absolutely is. And okay, Fabian Johnson. Yes or no? Uh, I'm not sure about Fabian Johnson. Okay, Jeff but, Cameron. Yes. Tim Ream. Tim Ream had a terrible game against Costa Rica. I don't think so. Okay, Bobby Wood. Yes. Yes. Okay. So there are three players there that are pretty damn good. I can't believe. And and then there's the Costa Rican perspective, dude. Costa Rica in, in Mexico did not take the Gold Cup seriously. The USA were the only ones out of the top nations that took this Gold Cup seriously. Yep, Mexico used it to develop their youth. Costa Rica did take it relatively uh, more seriously, um, but it wasn't as serious as they could have. And I mean, also Jamaica didn't really take it as seriously as as they as well, they could have either. in I mean, the final. And but remember, Blake went down, so the momentum was was bad for Jamaica. I mean, and you also have to realize that the uh, gold, there's going to be a 2019 Gold Cup too. And the 2019 Gold Cup, what's going to happen? Well, in the, in the 2019 Gold Cup, basically you're going to have you're going to have a winner, and you're going to have the two teams play for a spot in the Confederations Cup. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. It, I mean, it doesn't matter. You still have a chance to play. So Mexico's probably going to, if they play well, they'll probably win that. And you have Mexico USA again in the Rose Bowl. I mean, so teams didn't even take that seriously. And that's why I thought it was a joke because how can you say winning the Gold Cup was an accomplishment when half the teams weren't taking it seriously? Oh, absolutely. Uh, then you have Christian Pulisic's piece in oh, Lord the and Savior. Player Tribune. Now, I don't have the date in front of me, Armand. Could you double-check to see if it was a day after or a day before Bruce Arena's comments? Let me see. Can you check that for me, please? Yeah. Um, so now, as Armand's doing that, this is very important because Pulisic wrote this beautiful piece about the failure of the World Cup. And... What's striking is I don't have – besides for the young guys, I don't get the feeling that Michael Bradley, Josie Altidore, and, and the, the leaders of the team really all that feel feel that bad for, for missing out. Like Christian Pulisic, you can tell that absolutely devastated him for the weeks. And it's probably going to devastate him even more so next summer when he's watching all his buddies at Dortmund go play over. Uh, By the way, um, it was a day before. So a day before. And Christian Pulisic talked about how he's a dual citizen and was able to go to Europe at 16. And at eight, and while if you're not dual, you're 18. That 18 is only when you can uh, do that. You see that with Sargent, how he can only leave when he's 18 to go to uh, and McKinney. And McKinney, uh, where's Sargent going again? Um, Werder Bremen. Werder Bremen. There we go. And quote: This is from Pulisic. Those 16 to 18 years are everything. From developmental perspective, it's almost like the sweet spot. It's the age where a player's growth and skill sort of intersect in just the right way and where the right direction a player can make the biggest leap in development by far, which I think is absolutely fascinating. And then he goes on the next paragraph to explain how here in America we treat the U-17 like a star. There is no pressure on these players. There is no – they're not fighting for starting position. But you're in Europe, that the entire team's littered with those types of young players. They're really talented and you come up. Then you have to really – I mean you're one of talented players. Now you have to distinguish yourself among those talented players. And I think U.S. soccer does not do a good job of pushing the game. Of, of really driving players to become great. 
I mean, how many f- uh, future Freddie Adu's have we had? We have so many players that have been tabs the future of the United States national team, and what happens? They go to Europe, they don't pan out, and they and they end and they end up just uh, being almost forgotten about. I mean, he's Brexhay Agadello, to be honest, is I think one of those type of players. So I mean, you can see that when Pulisic talks about sixteen to eighteen and how it's it, it's everything. I mean, just look at. I also, I th- I think I think he's spot on to be honest. No, he's spot on, and I also think it's a dig at the older guys, because think about it, how many of the older guys are playing in major league soccer where the competition isn't important, and almost all of them, all of them, right? So if you win or lose, it's not that big of a deal. But Pulisic, if he has a bad performance, he could be on the bench the following week, right? Michael yeah, Bradley I mean, has a bad performance with Toronto FC. He'll be back in the lineup. No, yeah, and you, you, like he said, that it's a basic economic theory. Competition makes the end product much better. It's it's a basic economics. So if there's no competition for your position, you might get a little complacent. I mean, that's that's the frankly matter. And with this national team, these players going overseas now, this wave of players going overseas, and more competition building, you might you're gonna see different performances. I think from these I think from these star players, you're gonna I think you're gonna have like Jonathan Gonzalez challenge Michael Bradley for a spot, or Weston McKinney challenge even a Kellen Acosta for a spot. I think Kellen Acosta, you know, he needs to uh, either get to Europe or have a really a, a phenomenal FC Dallas uh, following season. I, I think he's gone to Europe. I think it needs he needs to take that risk. To, to it's all about that competition. You need that competition you do. in order to keep, to, to, keep, to keep your squad going. In the United States, there was no competition within the players. You saw that Bradley had no competition. Alfador really didn't have that much competition. I mean, I guess one competition you could have was in the back line. But I mean, outside of that, everything was pretty just like standard. Yeah, but Pulisic and, always pushes himself because Dortmund, he could be starting. And next week, he could be on the bench because of uh, Maxi Philippe. Exactly, and, and, and it's that person breathing down on their neck, and we've talked about it on the show. All right, listeners, there you have it. Let us know what you think. Tweet us. Subscribe to the show. Up next, we're getting to some MLS playoff. Alrighty, listeners, joining us right now is Matt Pence, freelance sports writer, covers Seattle Sounders. You've seen his pieces on ESPN FC. How's it going, Matt? Thanks for joining us. Going well. Thanks for having me on. Fantastic. Well, let's get to it. I mean, we've had, you know, a couple weeks off from MLS playoffs. Seattle Sounders, defending champs, will take on Houston in Houston. Uh, what's the mindset so far? Are the, you know, people getting excited up in the Pacific Northwest? Yeah, for sure. There's definitely some excitement here. Um, the layoff certainly doesn't help. I mean, between the home games, I mean, the Sounders ended up qualifying for the conference finals almost three full weeks ago now. Uh, so that's a long way to go off, and then they don't play at home <laughs> until next Thursday. Uh, so they're going to go about a month between home playoff games, which doesn't necessarily keep the buzz going. But if they get a strong result on uh, Tuesday night and coming home, with sort of a week to ramp up here, I'm sure that the uh, buzz will increase. 
Uh, Matt, how is that 19-day break uh, going into that game? How has that affected the team? Has that? I mean, it's obviously given them uh, enough time to, I guess, rest up. But how has that affected the team? I mean, having that long of a layoff is uh, between crucial matches is pretty, pretty big, pretty important. Yeah, I think that they're definitely looking at it as a positive. Um, they've had so many injuries. I mean, a lot of teams are banged up this time of year, but they've been especially hard hit. Um, with Osvaldo Alonso shaken up, and he should be good to go. Victor Rodriguez, who was limited in the conference semifinals, and the Sounders really missed his creativity. He should be good to go. Uh, Jordan Morris might still be another week away, but you might see him in the second leg. So I think more than anything, the Sounders were kind of looking at that break as a valuable opportunity to get right. Um, and also as a team that's made deep playoff runs plenty of times in the past, this is a phenomenon that they're used to dealing with and, and sort of that they can use to their advantage. Matt, uh, going into Houston, it's really weird because Houston has never beat Seattle in Seattle, and Seattle has never beat Houston in Houston, so you have this real home field advantage. What's the expectations, and what, what type of setup are we going to see from the Sounders in leg one? It'll be interesting for sure because uh, I think that they recognize the value in getting an away goal because uh, if you look at the way the Vancouver series played out, the Whitecaps really played the zeros at home yep. and the Sounders were able to ultimately get through. There was always that danger um, and sort of that nerves in playing at home that if you give up that one goal, you're in some real trouble. So I think the Sounders really want to go down to Houston and even if they don't necessarily win – being able to get an away goal to bring home, especially against a team that would love to just kind of sit back and counter. I right. think first goal in that first uh, game down in Houston could play a pretty large role in how it all plays out here. Now, I just want to talk about throughout the season, you guys added, added um, Seattle's added some fullbacks, just Leardam and Nuhu, and we would all know that Jovan Jones is going to leave at the end of the season uh, to Darmstadt. Has, has the addition of those two fullbacks just made it a little bit easier to uh, for to them for them to let Jovan Jones go? Uh, well, Nuhu's emergence certainly on the left um, has definitely provided them with sort of a backup that, that they'll look sort of favorably towards the future for. Now they don't really have to worry about finding too big of an er- of a replacement. I think that Leardom's been really important for them right. in providing some width and providing another sort of player who can provide a two-way threat because the Sounders haven't always been all that sort of capable or dangerous going forward this season. So having guys on both sides that can provide width and attack has really been important for them. What about Clint Dempsey? Last year, obviously, he was out with the heart condition. Now he's coming back. Do you think there's extra motivation from him, at least, to perform well and then the disaster with the U.S. men's national team? I mean, he won't say that outright. He's not uh, the most introspective guy, typically. (laughs) But I think you can see it through his play and really in the way that he stepped up in the second leg of the Vancouver series, Mm. scoring twice, really putting the team on his back and sort of forcing his way through. I think there were some real questions up here, um, even sort of voiced by Brian Schmetzer, how he would come back from the U.S. national team in the wake of everything that happened in losing the motivation of the World Cup next year, how he was going to react to that. But he's been really good uh, down the stretch here, and I think he's proven that he really does want to sort of 
uh, add to his legacy and add another championship here in Seattle, especially having missed out last year. Oh, absolutely. I, my question, actually, I should have asked you in the beginning. Is there any disappointment from, I guess, the supporters that it's not Portland, that you guys have to face Houston? I think it's a little bit split. Um, I think that from from a lot of the supporters are just fine with Portland being out of it, and especially given <laughs> all the drama that's gone out there since and Caleb Porter kind of being yeah. a long-term foil down there. I think that they've kind of more glorified it in sort of Portland not making it that far. I think that it's the people on the outside and the neutrals, which is what mm-hmm. I consider myself. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. a little bit bummed out. It would have been a way more interesting series, a way more interesting narrative. And I think nationally, uh, I think that that's a big drawback and you're going to see a lot of that excitement fall off. But I think specifically among the most diehard fans, they're kind of fine with just seeing Portland fall on its face and having sort of a clear road to make it back to another MLS Cup title game potentially. Yeah, um, how... Let's just go back. Let's go back to that Caleb Porter firing. How are or them splitting apart? You mentioned it, but how are the Seattle supporters feeling about that with with uh, their rivals' uh, main coach that's given them trouble in the past uh, leaving? I think that uh, it's a similar dynamic to the question you just asked, and that I think that a lot of people are just kind of gleefully taking in him leaving and sort of the complicated circumstances down there. There, people are kind of reveling in that, but. I think that come next year, uh, it obviously depends on who Portland hires to replace him, but I think that whether Seattle fans will admit it or not, they will kind of miss having Caleb Porter down there as sort of that perfect villain and that guy that liked sort of poking fun at the rivalry (laughs) so long. It was about him and Ziggy Schmid kind of sniping back and forth at each other. Their dynamic was so interesting, and I think that the rivalry is going to suffer for not having him around again maybe they could bring in another guy who really revels in that side of the rivalry but i think that it's going to be missed up here for sure now on the show we like to ask uh, about the soccer culture in specific markets obviously you have you know the huge issue with the hashtag save the crew movement uh we're based out of dallas so we understand that but up in the specific northwest we haven't really got to look at the soccer market or the soccer culture I mean, Seattle, obviously with the attendance up until when Atlanta United opened the Mercedes-Benz, that you've had all this, you know, Seattle was the attraction for MLS with the attendance. I know a lot of fans were kind of mad that Seattle has, I mean, uh, Atlanta has taken over that. But off the field, Seattle Sounders have a huge market. Is that correct? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, And I actually think it's a positive to have, of other markets really coming in and testing the Sounders and testing anybody and sort of dragging the game forward because I think that to some degree the Sounders could get a little bit comfortable and complacent with sort of the gains that they've already made um, and especially for a time there whenever they were doubling up pretty much everyone else in attendance mm-hmm. it was really easy for them to sort of sit on their laurels and and point to how cool the atmosphere was and everything and I think that going forward it's going to be sort of a, a positive force in pushing them forward and in motivating them to continue to grow their brand and their relevance and everything else yeah you know it's real interesting i mean i think seattle is a, a big plus for major league soccer it's a huge attraction obviously with uh rodan you know talking to luis suarez and trying to convince him to come to major league soccer is always you know it helps but uh, uh yeah back, for sure back to the the playoff game 
Is there anybody on Houston that you know could give Seattle a lot of trouble, or you think could be be an issue? I just think the way that they play in general is going to cause problems for the Sounders um, in the way that their biggest weakness all year um, has been breaking down teams that are disciplined and can play sort of this solid back line. Because uh, in year two of Nicholas Lodero, teams have really been able to key on him a little bit more and play him a little bit more physically. And when teams take him out of the game, the Sounders haven't had a lot of a plan B. And so I think that what you'll see over the two legs, if Houston plays it right, is the Sounders are going to have to commit a lot of numbers, and Houston's really good at playing on the break. So I think both Elise and Kyoto um, are, are going to play an important role here, and all it takes is going to be one counterattack and one time when one of the speedsters get in behind, and it could really change the series um, in a way that I think that, even though on paper I think the Sounders have a lot they just their roster is a lot more complete. They have a lot of game winners. They have that championship pedigree. But I think Houston is really well set up to pull off the upset if they're able to steal a goal, whether that's tomorrow or early uh, in the next match. Matt, what are your predictions uh, for the, for the series? How do you think it'll end up? Do you think uh, Seattle will move on to their second consecutive MLS Cup or? Will it be Houston uh, returning to the MLS Cup for the first time in a little bit? Um, well, like I said, I do think that Houston has a much better shot um, than a lot of people on the outside are giving them. I do think that the Sounders will ultimately find a way through. Um, that's kind of been this team's trademark for a year and a half now. That They might not always play the prettiest soccer, and they mm-hmm. certainly have their weaknesses, but they just seem to have guys that come through whenever they need it, whether that's Lodero or Dempsey or even maybe Morris coming back for the second leg. They've always had guys that have stepped up and come through, and and I think that it's better to, to sort of lean on that and say that, that until they prove otherwise, the Sounders are still the team to beat in the West, and I think that they'll find a way to get through maybe 2-1 on aggregate or something really narrow. So it's going to be, a, I guess, a very tight affair between the two, huh? Yeah, the Western Conference playoffs have been pretty much all that. Yeah, <laughs> so no, I think true. that it's going to play to form and be another sort of – I guess it could change should the Sounders score early down in Houston and force them to open it up. It could be a little bit more interesting. But if we make it to halftime at nothing, nothing tomorrow night, uh, everyone should sort of settle in for another sort of war of attrition, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Matt, here on the show we have a shameless plug. So where can we find you on Twitter? Where can we find your uh... – your material yeah definitely uh follow me on twitter it's at matt pence p-e-n-t-z and then uh and yeah and i i usually tweet out my links to everything that i'm doing and uh yeah it's just kind of all over the place fantastic well thank you so much for joining us and thank you man road. sounds good thanks for having me on guys joining us right now is our houston dynamo insider the one we always go to for our insight we need on the dynamo Corey Repkin. Corey, how are you doing today? I am doing great, guys. How are you? We're doing great, and let's get straight to it. Sellout against the Seattle Sounders. How excited is the Houston Dynamo fan base? I think think they're ecstatic. You know, it's been four years since, since they were able to see a playoff game in person with the Dynamo playing, of course. And, uh, you know, the excitement has been building throughout the season. It started hot, 
uh, with all those wins in the first 10 games. And there was a little bit of a lull in the summer and the early fall, but things picked up and, and the team's playing well now. They found a, a level of defensive form that they haven't had much in, in the 12-year history of the club. And, you know, I, I think that they're just happy to have a chance at this point. And, you know, sure, they want to win, but it almost doesn't matter because they've already achieved everything they could have hoped for from a fan base point of view this season and Wilmer's first season. Is there is there any expectation of MLS Cup? I mean, you mentioned the fan side of things, that they're really satisfied with where the thing is, but is the team satisfied with how uh, the team satisfied with a, a conference final finish? Uh, I think the fans would be satisfied, but not the players. I mean, they're here. I mean, this is what you play for. Uh, you know, you, you already knocked off the number one seed in Portland, and you and you beat them on the road. Uh, you know, why shouldn't they have the confidence to to beat Seattle in a two leg series? So. Yeah, I mean, I think later on down the line, if they get eliminated by Seattle, they'll say, hey, it was still a pretty good season, but they're in the moment now, and, you know, they believe they can win, and they've already beaten Seattle at home this season, so there's no mystique of the Sounders and being the reigning champs, and they certainly respect Seattle, but they believe that they can win, so they're going out to do it, and, you know, that's that's their motivation at this point. Absolutely, and we did see Albert Elise and Romel Kyoto actually go and play in a playoff for Honduras as they played against Australia. Unfortunately, they fell, lost three one on aggregate. Are they going to be good to go for the series? Is there anything we need to worry about? No, I think they'll be good to go. Uh, Wilmer told me today uh, that they're uh, recovered and ready to go. Uh, there was, I guess, there was a little bit of a, a mental part to get over, you know, being that close to the World Cup and and not qualifying, but, you know, they've been, they've been back with their Dynamo teammates now, and it didn't take anything to remind them of what's at stake here. So they've been playing well, and they're excited to get going. And uh, if Wilmer wants to pick them for the starting 11 on Tuesday, uh, I think he will. You know, uh, Corey, we, when we first had you on, it was just, I mean, I think days or maybe even a week after the the announcement of Philip Sunderos coming over and joining the Houston Dynamo. Um, he's kind of, you know, become very important to the back line after the, you had the injury moving. Um, who's it over to, to the right back position uh, after losing De La Garza. Yeah. Sunderos came in an older talk about his, you know, experience and what he's done to the locker room. Yeah. You, well, the locker room is, uh, is, probably the first and foremost you know he uh one of the reasons the dynamo brought him over was because of his experience uh he's a veteran he's been through you know all the battles on the big stage uh world cup champions league all that and uh you know i i thought i think they thought he could come in and kind of seamlessly fit into that back line if need be and they got him a couple games early on when he came in and you know, he got hurt, and some of the some of the talk about when he came over was about, you know, he's injury-prone and, you know, how effective can he be? And so you started to think, well, you know, is he still injury-prone or is he going to get through this? And, you know, now he's played in, in some games in a row, and, and that's been in big part. He's been super effective there uh, in, at center back. And after uh, the second leg against Portland, uh, Caleb Porter, the coach of Portland, said, you know, in, including uh, Machado, he thought he and Cinderos were, were quote-unquote men back there. Uh, 
So they have some good momentum going with the defense, and uh, Philippe Cinderos is a big part of that. Yeah, losing uh, AJ De La Garza is definitely a huge blow, specifically when he's you know an ACL tear that could put you out you know next season, including. But uh, interesting statistic: um, the Houston Dynamo have never beaten Seattle in Seattle, and Seattle has never beaten the Dynamo in Houston. So how? What's the mindset? Are they? Is the Dynamo going to go for a goal? Do you think they're going to push Seattle around, or do you think they're going to try to do uh, sit comfortably and, and I guess play that second leg like you saw against Portland? No, I think I think the Dynamo know that they were playing with fire a little bit uh, by not winning that first right. leg against Portland. You know, because then you put yourself in position to have to win on the road. I mean, you can look at it. Yeah, they have the advantage that they can tie one-one in advance, but. I don't think they want any part of that. I think they want to take the game to Portland, and I think they want to score a goal or two and, you know, for them, hopefully not concede. And if you can take a 1-0 or 2-0 game into Seattle, then you're looking at a pretty strong advantage, and uh, mm-hmm. that that's something they would rather have. They don't want to put themselves in a position where they have to win at Seattle. Now, if that happens, they'll feel confident that they can, but – think of the advantage you'd have of going to Seattle knowing that they have to come out of what they want to do, which would nicely for the Dynamo to counterattack. No, that's, that's spot on, Corey. And who's a player that we need to watch out for from the Dynamo? I mean, we've seen some player, uh, players come up, and we saw Remick have a great great effort. We saw Manotes also have a great effort in that second leg against Portland. So who's someone we need to watch out for uh, in at least leg one? Well, I think an important player is going to be whoever plays striker, whether that be Eric Torres or Mara Minotas. I think mm-hmm. you're likely to see Eric Torres. And, you know, he hasn't scored in, in eight appearances, even though he has set a club record for goals in a season with 14. But even though he hasn't scored, he's been doing a lot of good things um, outside of that. Uh, you know, whether that be pressuring the opposing back line and, and kind of setting up the defense that way. Um, or, uh, you know, being, being that guy who can put his back to the center back and, and receive that pass and, you know, allow, allow his teammates to get forward into the attack. You know, that's going to be tough against the center back tandem of Roman Torres and Chad Marshall. But, you know, uh, Kubo did that uh, in the season opener. He did it well. And, you know, there's also the fact of, you know, runs off the ball and, and setting up his teammates. I don't know if you can go back and, and look at the replay of the second goal the Dynamo scored against Seattle in that season opener where Mo Kyoto was dribbling down the, the left channel. And uh, Kubo, he ran into the flank out wide, and that uh, occupied Roman Torres' attention for just a split second, and that allowed Kyoto enough time to you know hit a bender into the top right corner of the net for a two-ounce lead there in the first half. You know, Those are the things that uh, Kubo was smart enough to do. And even though he hasn't been scoring, the Dynamo are going to need things like that uh, if they want to score against Seattle. I had a quick question about the goalkeeping, uh, you know, the suspension of Derek. Do you think Joe Willis is going to be fine back there? He's obviously, you know, the Houston Dynamo have a good combination of goalkeeper, but what's the trust in Willis? You know, when... Joe was starting for a little bit in the spring because uh, Tyler had a little bit of bad run form, bad run of form, and uh, and when Wilmer went back to Tyler before their game at Dallas, Wilmer said the reason was uh, you know the team needed 
a goalkeeper who could save them, you know, make that big save when they really needed it. And, you know, that was, I, I don't know if that was a, a knock on Joe as much as it was a vote of confidence for Tyler, but, you know, go back to Joe's performance against Portland. He had to make a couple of saves there where, you know, that's kind of what Wilmer wanted Tyler to do was quote unquote, save the team. And, and Joe did that. And, you know, he's got confidence. He had confidence in the lead up to the game. You know, that wasn't his first time kind of being thrown in to a playoff game at the last minute. Uh, he did it with DC United a few years back. So, you know, Joe is confident. The team is confident in Joe. And I don't think it's going to be an issue confidence-wise. Oh, fantastic. Well, uh, Corey, <laughs> got to ask you, what, what do you think? How is this series going to draw out? Who will be lifting um, the trophy and, I guess, playing in the MLS Cup? Well, that's, I mean, you know, who who knows with predictions? I I like the Dynamo's chances, but I think a lot of it a lot of it depends on the first leg. You know, I think it's going to be tougher for the Dynamo to win in Seattle, so I think they need to get a lead after Tuesday's game in Houston. And you know, a, a lot of it might depend on their ability to score without having the benefit of the counterattack because we saw Portland kind of bunker in in the second half of the first leg and and and, uh, and Houston had a tough time breaking them down. So if Houston can get a goal or two in, in that scenario, then it's really going to set them up well. Uh, but I think, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to make a, a prediction, go out there until I know what happens in the first leg. And, you know, because there's two legs, I have that benefit. No, absolutely. No, absolutely. And, Corey, you know about our shameless plug. Just tell the viewers where we can uh, – or listeners where we can uh, – find your work and where you can find your uh, social media information. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at rip sports and uh, the website where all my stories are, are uh, the Houston Chronicle Quran.com slash sports slash dynamo. Fantastic. Corey. Thanks again. Talk to you down the road. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me guys. Take care. Well, it's always good to get the perspective from Seattle and Houston. You know, thanks to Matt Pence and Corey Ropkin. And next week we'll try and get a Toronto and a Columbus guy to come on. Yes. And talk about that series. But, um, Stephen, I want to ask you, hashtag save the crew versus TFC. What do we expect and what could be potentially, I'm saying potentially, the last playoff game in at Columbus for the crew. Wait, are they moving this off season? Well, if they miss the playoffs next year, then it'd be a last playoff game. I, yeah, okay, but uh, I don't know. That's stretching it, Armand, just a little bit. Portland Timbers won the MLS Cup and then didn't make the playoffs next season. It's not a stretch. MLS is all about parity. No, it is all about parity, but you just don't know. I mean, Seattle's could go back-to-back MLS Cups, and Toronto could do the same thing. Yeah, but and you and then so much for parody after that. But hey, I mean it's it's for the storylines. It's for the storylines, man. Yeah, cool. okay, hype it up. Hashtag save the crew, um, which it's starting to get under my skin a little bit. It's I mean it it should be. That's the point of the protest. It's to make you uncomfortable. But I 
before we talk about the game, I wanted to mention uh, about that meeting. Uh, I remember, I think I told you about it. Yes. Uh, the meeting between the crew ownership, the uh, MLS, and the Columbus partnership and the mayor of Columbus, which just seemed like two people just demanding things from each other. And it looked like, it sounded like it, both the stories lined up. And at first I was like, who do we believe? You can believe both because it, it, Columbus was saying, hey, we want an assurance that you'll stay in Columbus. While the uh, well, pre-court and pre-court was more like, we want an assurance that you can give us like a stadium land or something like that. So it was, it was literally two, it's, nothing was going to get come out of it. If, if that's what's going to happen, nothing's going to change. It's interesting because, I mean, if the state, it's a sellout, right? Thousand yeah. fans from Toronto are going to show up, which I think that red and yellow is going to be an awesome dynamic. We know Toronto fans are absolutely insane, uh, which is fantastic. Uh, Columbus is his underdog, right? I feel like the league wants him to win, though. Like, supporters within the league. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Supporters, like, I feel like, but they are a good team, and I think they're favored to, again, with this weird uh, playoff system, Columbus has the opportunity to set the tone in a leg where Toronto won't have Giovinco and they won't have Altador. And those are two huge things. But let's not discredit Toussaint Ricketts, who actually scored, I want to say, twice in uh, Toronto's 5-0 win over Columbus uh, during the season. So don't discount Tor- uh, Toronto's backups. They're supposed to be the best MLS regular season team, the best team with depth. So they should be fine. But they Columbus... Haven't, they haven't played e- against each other in a long time. So this series leads is Toronto 2 to 1. TFC won 2 to 1 on the road May 10th, 5-0 at home May 26, and then the Columbus have their one win in April at home. Yeah, and, and a lot of goals have scored in these 3 games. Um 11 goals. That's a lot. You do we expect that firepower? Absolutely. Tomorrow night. Absolutely. The question is First of all, okay, that no, because Josie Altador and Giovinco both out. So w- what do you think Toronto's going to do? They're probably going to set back a little bit more. They're going to play. I think they will. I think you're right. I think they will sit back. I think they're, they'll either switch their formation or they'll stick to the same system but have the wingbacks push back a little bit. Um, I also, I also again, don't discredit Toussaint Ricketts, but they might switch to a one-striker set instead of the, the 3 5 that they've been running. Do you think because Columbus, I think, is going to go after Toronto? I mean, As they here's, should. here's a statistic for you. Since 2011, Iguain, the brother of Gonzalo Iguain, the older brother, he has scored seven goals, talenting seven assists, and 14 appearances against Toronto since 2012. And we saw what they did to NYC. They destroyed them in the first leg, and that set the tone. And three now, games this season, one goal and two assists for Iguain. And you, you also you can't forget about Justin Miram. You can't forget about Ole Kamara, who's coming off his first call up from Norway. You you can't forget you can't you can't forget about the crew. I mean, to be honest with you, They're the good crew team. looks really good. Burhalter has done a phenomenal job tactically setting his team up to succeed. Think about how much pre, uh, how much possession they surrendered against NYCFC. It was something like thirty. It, it's it might be close. I think it's like a 35-65%. I mean, it might be like 38 if I remember correctly. But Columbus is okay with just sitting back and defending. And 
You have to give credit to Zach Steffen as well. He has been a a magnificent goalie. I mean, he obviously has some luck of the post. But I do think what Burhalter has done is he has – if you look at the Atlanta game especially, he – Atlanta didn't have any clear-cut opportunities to genuinely score except he had for one. They're prolific offense. They average so many goals per game. And Burhalter calmed them down. You saw them take advantage of NYC's red card and just and set the tone and basically uh, knocked NYC out before the second leg even happened. I mean, to be honest with you, Columbus is not a team to be, you know, to be an underdog. I think, if anything, these teams are more even than we think. Well, I mean, Drew Moore warned and talked about how he is, you know, Murrum and Santos like to get forward and wide, and and the defenders like to push forward, and they sometimes can sneak into the midfield and create a lot of mismatches that could be taken advantage of. I mean, think about this. Crew are playing with house money at this point. So they can go in this game, and if they could do almost what they did against NYCFC get a goal or two lead, then you're putting real pressure on Toronto. And remind me how Michael Bradley has done under pressure this season or this year. Yeah, you know about that. Yeah, so he turns into a sheep, to, be, uh, to put it in his terms, you know, <laughs> playing the game fairly. Um, so I, I don't know. This, this is a very intriguing matchup because I think it could be an absolute goal fest or you could see some real hatred. And I, I don't want to hashtag save the crew – to be about saving the crew. I want this game Tuesday night should be about the team on the field and the success they've had this past season. It's not about the fans and it's not about the ownership and it's not about relocation. It's about the 90 minutes should be about the game, right? I mean, to an extent, but their team is their team is looking more and more likely that they're going to move. I do think they should all unite. You know, they can scream out they want at pre-court. They can all unite around their team, kind of did in the NYC game and. We'll see. I mean, hopefully it is a sellout, and because um, and hopefully we don't get confusion about the attendance as we did last uh, game, and hopefully it's an entertaining game. I really expected Eastern Conference has given us nothing but fun games to watch. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, all right, Armand, let, let's go. We're moving on from this because we're gonna have um, some reporters next week. To, to talk about Toronto and the crew. We'll get the, the you know, leg two series this week. We did the leg one for Toronto, uh, Houston and Seattle. But let's talk about some off-the-field issues regarding Major League Soccer because, honestly, with this international break, it has felt like they have had... Uh, it's been the... It's almost felt like we're in the off-season mode and we forget that there's... The season is, you know, this is the crux of the season. No, you're right. Spot on. So, um... I don't know. Any headlines that stick out to you? Oh gosh, um, let's should we just start? Caleb Porter and Portland splitting. Yeah, that that's really weird. In my um, many people are saying it was mutual. I mean, Porter says it was neutral. Oh, mutual. Um, Portland says it was mutual. I don't think it was. Usually, I mean, you you think it's possible, but usually. When you leave a top side, it's because of some sort of power struggle. And that was initially reported by Paul Tenario, who broke the news of them splitting uh, sides. But I do think some power struggle did happen. That's that's my assumption on the whole situation. I don't know about you, but I genuinely think some sort of power struggle between ownership, GM, coach, whatever, caused uh, Porter to uh, say, you know what, this isn't worth it for me. I'm out. Maybe I'll wait. Maybe take a year off and... End up at FC Cincinnati. Should we start the rumors or? 
Yeah, let's start it here. FC Cincinnati will get Caleb Porter. Um, how about some player reports? LAFC going after Egyptian international Omar Gaber. Actually plays at FC Basel. Oh, yeah, your favorite team. <laughs> I'm telling you, that team produces players, and a lot of Egyptians have come out of that system. Salah, he played at uh, Basel. Yeah, I do remember that. Um, Leicester City interested in Jack Harrison. I feel like every English team has been linked with Jack Harrison at least once. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. This, this, I, 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 I don't know if him moving to moving to England right now would be a good move for him. I don't think he could play. What about with you. what about Yaya Tori and Blazikowski, the Ivory and Coast in, uh, midfielder and uh, the Polish, making ways to uh, one for NYCFC. If, you, if and... you can get if you can get Tore on a non uh, DP deal, that's a steal. And Blazikowski, uh, it's kind of falling off from uh, his form when he was first rumored to go to uh, the Chicago Fire. The Chicago that's, Fire. Yeah, that's 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 what I think. Um, Steven, let me ask you something. Um, what do you think of the the bid to see Nashville get their Nashville at the stadium all approved? Um, do, who do you think's next two teams? FC Cincinnati and Nashville. Really? Yes. I've been keeping up with what, Cincinnati. They're, they're having stadium issues. I think it's more they, than the I, I know Nashville. What is exactly how much does FC Cincinnati command of the merchandising sell in American soccer? It's pretty high, actually. Think it's it. top five. Top three. Top three. How can MLS say no to that? Well, it's not MLS. They didn't get state. They didn't get. They didn't get their stadium situated. How can MLS say no to the highest uh, uh, valued ownership? With Detroit, simply put, they're not they're not putting in a soccer specific stadium. Well, okay, so is the re- or is it that FC Cincinnati will not get a stadium, or it just hasn't been they haven't? It been hasn't been confirmed yet. They were struggling. Struggling. It's the rust. I mean, they're going to probably get it, but Hamilton County did advise them to use Paul Brown Stadium. And for those who don't know what that is, that's the Cincinnati Bengals Stadium. No, no, and, no, no. We talked and, about this and, last week, and obviously MLS said nope. Uh, they could be looking at New Newport, Newport. Yeah, yeah. Um, there uh, it's a city in Kentucky, it's five minutes away from downtown, and uh, a problem there would be a nice stadium site, and a lot of people would like that. And they're also looking towards Oakley, which is another stadium or another development in urban uh, Cincinnati, and uh, people said they'd be fine with that too. So I mean, it just one in uh, Hamilton County looks like it won't get done, but the rest of them, you know. Here's another rumor for you, Chicharito. LAFC. Won't happen. Won't happen? No. He's – unless David Moyes decides to say, you know what, screw it, we're not going to play him anymore, it, it shouldn't happen. That'd be, it, that'd be stupid. <laughs> he's, 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 he's good for West Ham. I mean, come on. <laughs> come on. Fair enough. Stop it. Um, Stop it. Armand, one more last thing before we, before we get back to MLS playoffs. Al Marone, is he a gonna leave and b what the fee? What's the fee? I say no. He won't leave, and he'll play MLS one more season, and he'll leave next year uh, for a fee that'll command. Uh, it'll be higher because you'll see him play, and it won't be a fluke. Uh, I think twenty five, thirty. Thirty two and a half. Will That's... he leave this year? Or next year? Uh if here's the thing, Atlanta United, they could make if the bid is high enough, you say goodbye and you you go in and invest in some money. The thing but is, they Atlanta, were, they were rejecting bids. 
I know, but uh, it's hard to tell. But, I mean, why not? What happens if Almiron takes a nosedive and then Atlanta United loses their their profit? Well, what if the sky falls down? You know, it, it, there's always a risk involved. Well, obviously, but I think you get rid of him now and you go put the money into another player. I don't think you get rid of him now because who's your replacement? Well, that's the thing. You, you need to find a replacement. The thing is you only sell them if you have a replacement in mind. And I think the the commitment Arthur Blank has with Atlanta United has shown that you know he's not going to just you know just sell just to make money. He doesn't need the money. Clearly not. Well- they just opened a brand new stadium. <laughs> that's uh, it's it, it's complicated. We'll talk to more. Uh, we'll talk more when you know we get to the actual offseason. Uh, quickly, final minute here, Armand. Predictions. I don't need score lines. Who are we going to see for 2017 MLS Cup? Can we wait till next week for MLS Cup? Why? The leg one starts tomorrow. Yeah, but you know, the second the second leg is going to be coming up the week after. The prediction happens. Oh, you you, you can't say after results. All right, half- fine, 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 fine. You know what? Fine. It's like it's like picking your Super Bowl champ at halftime. Well, we'll it doesn't really work. Um, I say, I think it's going to be a Toronto, and wait for it, Houston final. Damn, I was going to actually was thinking the same thing. I think Houston's is one of those teams that just like after stunning Portland, you just feel like they could stun Seattle too. Because I, I don't think... the same thing with Columbus, but I think Columbus is just going to hit a brick wall at some point. No, I think Toronto and... has just been that good. I think I think Toronto will have a chance for redemption come MLS Cup. And I mean, Houston, hey, look. Will, Houston will be in their fifth MLS Cup. Hey, fifth. look, it's gonna be, it's gonna be crazy to see um, if 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 they can if they can do it perfectly. If 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 the Dynamo can move on to the MLS Cup, I'm I'm scared of them. To be honest with you, I'm very scared of them. Yes, indeed. All right, listeners, follow us on Twitter, Unc Sam Soccer Pod, Stephen Jodrin, Amon Kafai. Go listen to old episodes. Keaton Parks, Jared Miklas. We got some great stuff. John Strong. Look forward to next week when we get the Columbus Toronto perspective. Till then. Bye. The available AKG 36 speaker sound system in the Cadillac Escalade provides 360 degree sound. So you hear studio sound on the road. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. The available AKG 36 speaker sound system in the Cadillac Escalade provides 360 degree sound. So you hear studio sound on the road. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade, never stop arriving.